What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, July 8th. This week on the podcast, Dan O'Prey, Chief Strategy Officer for Digital Asset, joins me to talk about, well, digital asset and a bit more about Ethereum and smart contracts in general. So, as always, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and digital asset. Enjoy. All right, recording. Dan, how are you doing? Very well, Brendan. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm doing well. Um, so thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, so to kind of kick it off, you want to tell me a little bit about uh, your backgrounds, what you do, you know, how you kind of got interested in blockchain in the first place uh, to kind of give the audience an idea of who you are and what you do. Sounds good. Uh, so Dino Prey, I'm currently the uh, Chief Strategy Officer at a company called Digital Asset. Uh, been in the industry for about six years or so now. Um, co-founded a, a company called Hyperledger back in, in early 2014, uh, which ended up being acquired by Digital Asset. And then I've had a, a couple of different roles internally uh, within DA at the last sort of four or five years or so. Um, so currently, you know, very much focused on, you know, looking at how the, what's sort of commonly known as the, the enterprise blockchain, uh, part of the industry or the, the permissioned ledger, uh, piece very much dealing with, you know, existing commercial entities, small businesses, all the way up to large enterprises and financial institutions and, and how they are looking at the technology and adopting it in order to, uh, you know, bring benefit to their current business. Gotcha. How would you define enterprise blockchain versus, you know, the, the blockchain we all kind of know? Yeah, I think that, you know, the core is very, there's a lot, great deal of overlap, but they're, you know, almost entirely separate, I would say. And it's not, uh, not that fashionable to say necessarily. Um, but really, you know, the core design decisions are, are whether you need censorship resistance or not. Uh, so if you're trying to build a, a censorship resistance peer-to-peer electronic cash, uh, obviously you need censorship resistance. And then the architecture of, of what you're building uh, really stems out of that, that initial problem statement, that, that value prop to the user. Um, however, when you're dealing with companies uh, in the physical world who, who have offices, who are issuing stock or uh, their banks and you know, they, they're the liability, they have the liability for cash, uh, censorship resistance isn't, yeah, isn't the, the key design decision uh, you're trying to solve for. It's really all around how do we make sure that you know, everyone in that's relevant to a transaction sees the same thing and how do we make sure everyone agrees on how do we update that. Um, so when you start from the sort of the context of there are known entities, they have to be identified, they have to be permissioned, you know, there's KYC, KYV, know your vendor, uh, and all of this is, is very much dealing with the sort of known world. Um, it's how do we leverage the technology to, to enable companies to build applications that actually span markets rather than just sit siloed inside a, a single company. Gotcha. Is, is this something that we're seeing more often nowadays, um, this pursuit of an enterprise uh, blockchain um, amongst like bigger companies, or is it still relatively new? 
Um, it's been going on for quite some time now. Um, so we have, you know, a couple of, of very large projects um, with, with big, say, stock exchanges, for example. Uh, we're most known for our work with the Australian Securities Exchange, the ASX. Uh, we've been working with them since, oh, don't want to misspeak, but, you know, 2016, 2015, perhaps, if I can recall. Uh, and so th this has been a project that's you know several years in already, and and is actually replacing the core um, yeah core infrastructure for the Australian stock market. Uh, so every single stock that's listed in Australia will be represented um, by down, by smart contracts um, and by you know on an underlying blockchain. Uh, and this is going live in you know in the next couple of years uh, due to the nature of the size of the project. So. Uh, there's been immense amounts of of interest on the enterprise side, and when I say enterprise, that doesn't just mean you know Fortune 1000. It's it's counting yeah, small and medium sized businesses in there as well, mm -hmm. uh, just as opposed to the sort of you know, crypto slash uh, free flowing token side of things. Um, so that yeah, a lot of interest, a lot of you know very well funded companies, consortia, open source uh, projects, new standards body. Uh, it's really been something that's you know continues to gain more and more momentum over the last you know five six years. Very cool, very cool. Um, I also heard that you helped found Hyperledger. What was kind of your role there? Um, How did you guys kind of come to do that? Yeah, so just uh, as sort of point of clarification for the audience, there's there's two Hyperledgers. Um, there is the uh, I've been involved in both. Um, there's the now Linux Foundation project, uh, which we helped set up with with the Linux Foundation and with IBM uh, and several others um, back in um, yeah a few years ago, uh, two years or so. And then prior to that, and where the Linux Foundation project got its name, uh, was a very small company that. I was a co-founder of with with one of my colleagues, Daniel Feuchtinger, uh, who's also with Digital Asset. Um, when we you know, became, I was personally extremely interested in Bitcoin. Um, that was my entry point. Um, you know, around that time, Ethereum hadn't you know launched yet. I think the yellow paper was out, uh, and people were you know, looking at how can we leverage this technology and particularly. Uh, expand the scope of you know, the functionality uh, towards what are now commonly known as smart contracts. Mm. Um, and we were looking from, from a different angle, uh, how, yeah, as I said, sort of how do we apply this to, to you know, existing businesses rather than you know, rebuild the sort of financial system from, from scratch or uh, how can we help uh, apply this to companies that already exist. So we, we started Hyperledger, it was just the two of us. Mm. Uh, we started, you know, exploring. Neither of us were from uh, finance or knew, you know, really the first thing about actually how how these very complex uh, instruments and, and systems and market structures actually work behind the scenes, uh, which was quite a interesting uh, and long journey. Um, but really, you know, towards the towards let's say the end of 2014, there was a, a huge influx uh, of interest from uh, financial institutions uh, in the technology. And, and fortunately for us, we'd sort of positioned ourselves as, as the one on, on their side, so to say, versus the, um, we're out to completely replace you. Um, and so and that was really the sort of start of the journey that led us to uh, ending up being acquired by Digital Asset. And then uh, after that, Oops, sorry, I've got some dogs in the background. No Let's pause it for a second. 
Um, so yeah, then and after joining Digital Asset, as I mentioned, worked with IBM, and you know, we had been working with them previously, and there became you know so much interest in this space. It was was open source, you know, by by its nature of being a multi-organizational technology, um, really for the core you know, core protocol to catch on uh, and become widely adopted. It had to be not governed by a single vendor, and that's where the Linux Foundation bring their expertise in. Uh, and so we, we established a project there uh, with the goal of sort of getting everyone on the uh, more enterprise side together to collaborate on some pieces and compete on others. Uh, and that's where Hyperledger, the, the Linux Foundation project was formed. And we donated the, the trademark and some codes. And I served as the uh, chair of the marketing committee there for uh, three years. Nice. Sounds pretty cool. You said it was acquired by Digital Asset, right? Yes. Yep. So, um, so they were uh, just about to launch, uh, sort of coming public, um, and we joined just before their sort of you know, big, big launch day. Gotcha, gotcha. So what's your role at Digital Asset now, and kind of what's the mission? Yeah, so the mission, I'll start there, is really, you know, we are we're trying to build, you know, it sounds very similar to the, the mission of Ethereum in some ways. It's, it's to build the, you know, the global economic network uh, for commerce. Um, and, you know, it's deliberately not tied to blockchain or tied to smart contracts. Um, where we sort of fit is we're not trying to build a better blockchain or, or you know, distributed ledger piece of the, of the stack. Uh, we focus purely on the, the sort of application development. How can we build smart contracts in an actually a, a safe and secure way? So we've created a language from the ground up called DAML, uh, D-A-M-L. Uh, you can find more info at daml.com. Um, and that is a, you know, an actually purpose-built domain-specific language uh, for, for, for the domain of, of multi-party um, business processes or systems or however you want to think about it, uh, but for building applications which have you know, shared state and shared logic that span across companies in a safe and a secure way. Um, so that's, that's really what our core focus is. We you know, then partner with various blockchain providers. Um, so some of the biggest ones are, are VMware, uh, we're doing work with uh, with Microsoft. We uh, have integrations with Hyperledger Fabric, Sawtooth, Bezu, uh, with R3's Corda. Um, so uh, you know, any of the main sort of Ethereum variant or uh, you know, permission blockchains uh, in the space. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, are there any, have you guys come up with any solutions or products out of digital asset um, lately? Um, or is it mostly just partnerships and and testing or like what kind of stage are you at? Like how far along is it? Yep. Great question. So, I mean, our, our core product is, is a horizontal, you know, infrastructural component in the same similar way that the blockchain is just at the smart contract layer. Um, so that has applicability, you know, for, for any, you know, any application that, that others want to build on top of the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't, you know, uh, build solutions or, or you know the sort of use case products ourselves um, we you know we, we make that technology available to others and we help them to, to be as successful as they can but really that's that's the sort of domain of our, our ecosystem rather than us as a, as a tech company mm-hmm. um, but in terms of what our customers and partners are, are doing with it um, yeah I mentioned the Australian Securities Exchange you know complete mission critical replacement project um, 
you know, that we tend to be dealing with with some of the we, we made the uh, you know in hindsight maybe difficult decision to start with some of the hardest use cases in the world um, uh, the, the things that underpin uh, the economies of entire countries which maybe as a startup I wouldn't wouldn't do again but it worked out quite well this time mm-hmm. um, and so yeah working with them on uh, a clearing and settlement for for equities uh, solution. Um, we have a couple of other stock exchange customers, um, some of which are, are going to be public shortly. Uh, we have projects and, you know, customers have projects in insurance and healthcare. Um, and then we have some, you know, various startups building with that technology as well. There's been uh, there's a, a smaller company called New ID, which is building, using DAML uh, as a way to manage uh, zero knowledge proofs for uh, passwordless authentication. Uh, which is a really you know interesting uh, application of the tech that you know we we hadn't thought of, but it turns out is a, a really good uh, example of what you can do with it. Um, we you know someone at Google was using it to to manage certificates and web browsers. Um, we ha- ourselves have been sort of experimenting with some some productivity SaaS apps. So we have a uh, an open source uh, Trello clone uh, and an open source Slack clone, both built in DAML. Um, uh, available at opensasami.com uh, .org, sorry, uh, and kind of thinking there is actually to show you know, great people's perceptions of of what smart contracts are. I mean, right now, you know, most people who who know what they are um, tend to think of them as uh, you know these autonomous, um, you know, almost autonomous agents which take escrow of funds, you know, apply some logic to it, and essentially move it between these these various different. Uh, accounts, um, which works well for things like cash, which are, are, are bare instruments, right? Whoever has possession owns it. But for things which have uh, rights or obligations over, uh, if you know you must do this at this point, or you you um, have the right to make someone else do something at some point, uh, that that kind of token model breaks down a little bit. So. By building out you know, something as simple as a Trello clone, which is very you know workflow oriented, uh, we're we're hoping to show that smart contracts actually have a much wider wider applicability, um, and can be used even for SaaS products. Um, and, and also there, the particularly interesting angle for me is around around privacy. So uh, how do we start to build applications where even the admins of these systems don't get to see all your data? And as you know, everyone sees in the world of, of social networks at the moment, that's becoming a, a more and more interesting uh, a topic that I think this technology can help with significantly. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. There's definitely some privacy issues in the world we live in today. <laughs> um, and it sounds like you guys are doing a lot too. Um, regarding smart contracts, how does your guys' ecosystem differ from that of something like Ethereum that's already kind of... Um, popular and a staple for building on top of yeah so we're not sort of you know directly competing with the ethereum ecosystem um although there are you know if if sort of on a technical basis we're kind of competing with solidity and the evm i suppose mm-hmm. um so it is certainly an alternative to that so um while we integrate daml with uh, ethereum based clients like hyperledger bezu which was originally from consensus um you know, you, you're, you're either choosing Solidity or DAML. Um, and I think, you know, we, we didn't set out when we started this company to have to you know, build our own programming language. That certainly wasn't in the, uh, the original roadmap. Um, 
but we quickly found having you know used each of these ourselves you know we were in the fortunate position of um in a time where use cases were, were thin and sparse uh we had you know a project with the asx a real customer uh with real requirements a real you know actual you know system that they were replacing and decommissioning um, and so we quickly sort of iterated through the available technologies at the time and and some of them have evolved more than others but um, you know I think quickly found that that using you know, general purpose languages uh, I know solidity is sort of uh, slightly a, a DSL but um, you know JavaScript inspired or, or trying to go to communities that are large communities of Java developers or Go developers or JavaScript developers, uh, it makes it very easy for them to pick up, but it makes it down the line very, very difficult to make sure that these systems are actually secure. Um, you know, that was proven out uh, in, in various instances of you know, the parity hack and, and the DAO um, exploit. Um, and really, you know, we had to build a language which was both expressive in terms of being able to model a wide variety of, of different use cases uh, beyond just simply moving tokens between wallets uh, and yet you know, secure enough that it wasn't left to the developer to worry about concerns like security and privacy. That was uh, a separate um, area of concern that the language handles automatically for them. Gotcha. Um, maybe I'm being naive, but is it possible to use your guys' programming language uh, to build something on Ethereum or for it to potentially replace something like Solidity that um, is kind of necessary, but also not very helpful in every situation? Um, it, it, it's theoretically possible. Um, I think, you know, it'd be... Yeah, you know, to put it on us, I mean, I'd love to see DAML on a public chain, uh, for example, and we have had interest and conversations around that with you know, various different foundations. Um, you know, DAML's really designed around you know, real, you know, secure privacy uh, and making sure that, particularly in the kinds of you know markets that we our customers deal in, um, there is no room for sharing data. Just for you know, confidentiality reasons, competitive reasons, and then regulatory reasons. Um, and so, if you were to, you know, DAML kind of needs the the underlying ledger to to re reflect some of those properties that it has uh, by design, uh, particularly around privacy. So, if you were to put DAML on something which shares everything with everyone, uh, DAML can't stop it from doing that. It will share everything with everyone, and so you lose some of the the benefits of. Um, of, that the language brings depending on you know the, the capabilities of the underlying platform um, so it would be possible um, I think you know, it's certainly something interesting um, there are all kinds of sort of technical nuances there on the, the payload sizes of, of DAML transactions versus solidity and what the gas prices for those would be um, but we'd certainly you know, our, our goal is to move towards um, more of a globally interconnected economic network and, and having Ethereum as part of that uh, would certainly be, you know, very much of interest to me. Is it cheaper to build on? Cause I, with Ethereum, there just seems to be quite a consistent issue with gas prices cropping up um, and then having a bottleneck and it slowing down. Um, like, do you guys have similar issues or does it like solve that issue yeah so so that sort of goes back to 
the original distinction between that was mentioned earlier about the the public permissionless and and the more you know enterprise permissioned. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of you know permission networks, you 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 don't need gas is the short version. Um, you know, gas really is how do I anonymously pay someone who's providing me a compute service? Um, you know, without uh, them being able to tamper with with the transactions, um, and so you know the people who are operating the nodes are providing a service to the network and their incentive for doing that is uh you know not only the block rewards but the the fee structure uh, in this case in gas um and so when you're looking in a world where you know existing companies you know that people run their own servers people run their own infrastructure they run it on aws uh, that's just the cost of doing business and cost of participating in the network. They don't need to be directly compensated by others for for processing those transactions. Mm-hmm. So in DAML, you're only validating transactions that you're a party to. Uh, there's no third party who's providing that as a service. Uh, so it's architecturally very different from uh, from something like Ethereum. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's just if I want to be part of the network, I run my own server and you know I pay pay my bills. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, speaking of smart contracts a bit more broadly, cause I know we kind of talked about it a little bit from an enterprise side, but how do you see smart contracts actually shaping the world and like what kind of impact do you think it'll have more broadly? It's a tough question. And, uh, it's, it's, I, I'm, you know, I, I like to, uh, get excited about the long term and the sort of long term vision. That's why I got into this space in the first place and continue to spend six years of my life on it. Um, but then, yeah, obviously, also got to balance that with um, you know, immediate value provided because uh, no one, you know, no one adopts and buys into one. Let's say, you know, companies kind of, you know, very few companies can afford to make a, a 10 year bet on a, on a technology, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's sort of uh, long with an intro to saying there are more short-term, sort of low-hanging, uh, incremental or, or single-order of magnitude benefits to the technology today. Uh, those tend to be around, you know, reducing cost and risk and uh, increasing, you know, efficiency and time to market for new products and services. Um, so that's kind of, you know, kind of a sort of modernization angle to. Um, when, when, when companies are looking at why should they do this now versus later, uh, there's significant cost savings or, or, or you know, reduction of time to market that can give them a competitive advantage uh, today. And then in terms of the sort of the, the long-term vision, that's where it becomes a little bit blurrier. And I don't think, you know, really anyone's perfectly articulated um, what that world's going to look like um, in the same way that when, you know, when the internet you know, first came around, you know, it's about replicating data and sharing data efficiently. This is really about um, you know, replicating state or, or um, ensuring that state is updated efficiently. Um, and so it's, it's a adding, adding scarcity or, or state to the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the types of applications that are, are going to be possible because of that are, are, are you know, by their nature, sort of harder to predict. Um, you know, where I get excited is kind of looking at you know even trends in the current tech world of of componentization and composability of of you know people talk about the unbundling of, of finance or unbundling of the enterprise where 
startups are, are picking off certain products and services they offer and that's that's their core business and they do that and they expose it as apis and you build you know essentially you build your business by stitching together a, a variety of third-party services and it might be aws or trilio or stripe um and then you know what what you're building as part of your business increasingly becomes less and less and less uh, so the easiest example is with with cloud you used to have to have a data center now you just say okay you manage all that for me and just give me compute and other things as a service uh, and now that's you know obviously happened with SaaS and and api as a service uh, and that's the sort of trend that that i find really fascinating is is in the future once you have a network uh, like this running something like daml where you can uh, compose together you know, a variety of all these different components, the actual code base or the scope of what you have to create to, to launch your business uh, becomes dramatically smaller because uh, you're extending and plugging into so much uh, that's already there and shared uh, and available. Um, and that, I think, will, will cause a you know, kind of exponential uh, increase in, in innovation, and particularly among, among startups. And, who knows? We might see the first sort of you know billion-dollar one-person company uh, once once this really takes off. Yeah, it's it's a fun trend to watch. It seems like every major company has kind of got their toes in the water on this one, um, at least to a degree. Um, one more question before we kind of start wrapping things up. Um, I was also told that you guys are involved with a working group called Interwork Alliance. Um, kind of helping advance this idea of a token economy. I uh, was kind of curious if you could talk a little bit about that for, for a second, like what you guys are doing there um, sure. and what you guys mean by token economy. Sure. So, um, yeah, Interwork Alliance is a new uh, open standards organization that was announced a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, very much aligned with you know, kind of our mission and what we're trying to do in the in the industry, which is move away from a world where we've got, you know, say, let's just say, ten different technologies, uh, all competing as sort of full stack solutions. So, if you want to build an application, you, know, you want you pick Ethereum, and then because you picked Ethereum, you have to use EVM. Because you picked EVM, you have to use Solidity. And because you pick, you know, use Solidity, you have to use XYZ tools. Um, so it's kind of a, a take it or leave it everything. Um, and that's true of you know, R3's Corda, of Hyperledger Fabric, um, uh, and most platforms in this space. So yeah, as previous technologies have developed, uh, they, they do tend to start like that. It's kind of monolithic blobs. Uh, but over time, interfaces start to emerge between ledgers, uh, between layers, sorry. Um, and then people start to specialize at each of those different layers, and they become you know, things that can be plugged together um, uh, in a sort of standard technology stack. And, and as we've been doing with DAML, by decoupling smart contracts from the underlying ledger and letting you know, DAML uh, applications written in DAML run on any of these, the ledgers that are supported, uh, the Interwork Alliance is, is working towards how do we do you know, technology-neutral definitions of, of tokens. Uh, that's the first project, the, the Token Taxonomy Framework, which was actually started under the uh, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. Um, so how is, as a, a sort of business level, can defi be, we define and actually document what we mean by a t particular type of token? And then let's go and choose the right technology to actually implement that. 
Um, so that's the first stage on the on the token side, uh, and and a token here is is not necessarily the the strict technical definition of what a token is. It really is any kind of programmable form of digital asset uh, that is uh, you know can be connected with other systems. Um, so you know slightly wider wider view than the say ERC twenty uh, token spec, um, and. You know, beyond beyond that sort of token definition, the next piece is then uh, a working group uh, called the Interwork um, Framework, uh, and that really is focused on okay, now we have those business level definitions of what tokens are. How do we uh, translate that into ensuring that these contracts or these tokens can be uh, interoperable across different technology systems? Um, so one of the things that, you know, it's great when you, when early on in an industry, you have this sort of Cambrian explosion of different approaches and ideas and architectures, um, which is fantastic for innovation, but it, you as a customer are looking at it going, okay, which one, you know, which one do I pick and will it be around and will it be the best one, you know, next year or the year after? And now we've got these huge companies like Microsoft and VMware, uh, you know, coming out with their own offerings. If I pick, you know, the one from last year, uh, am I going to be left on my own little island uh, next year? Am I going to get locked into a particular vendor and they're just going to ratchet up the prices on me and um, you know, end up paying massive bills uh, unless I rewrite my whole application? Um, so it gives a lot of comfort, uh, not just comfort, but, but safety and security to, to people adopting this technology, knowing that working towards things which will actually enable them to work together. And if the one they pick doesn't turn out to be the best one, they will be able to easily move uh, to another, uh, another technology without throwing away absolutely everything that they've done. Gotcha. Yeah, tokenization seems to be a pretty um, popular topic, an interesting way to use smart contracts um, to really gain more uh, mainstream popularity. Do you think tokenization, like being able to use tokens more widely and freely um, in society or in an economy um, is feasible, like given the state of where smart contracts are at, or is that something that would take significant of time, significant amount of time to develop um, alongside smart contracts? Well, I'm afraid the sort of answer depends on, on the definition of tokens there. I think you know, from, again, for most people, tokens, when they think about it, are, are things that run on Ethereum, like the, you know, the various you know, utility coin style tokens um, or representations of you know, diamonds or, or off-ledger assets. Uh, and those are like Bitcoin, like ETH, you know, free-moving bearer assets. And, and again, bearer asset meaning you, know, you, you control it, you own it. Um, vast majority of the world's assets aren't bearer assets. They're, they're, they're things that actually, you know, your bank needs to you know, promise to give you in the future when you make a cash deposit or you put gold in a, in a safety box and someone says, okay, I promise you, I'll give you this in the future. So most assets are really, you know, around, around those promises, those, those liabilities, uh, and contractual relationships between individuals and companies. And the strict sort of free-flowing bearer instrument model doesn't really work for that because, yeah, you can put a token in, in, in escrow, but if that token is a representation of some gold in a vault and someone runs off with the gold, cool, right? What are you, you going to do about it? Um, and that's just an you know, extremely simple example. Um, and then the other side is, is you know, 
regulatory and and compliance um, uh, quickly. You know, if if again, if you're building something completely censorship resistant, you're a decentralized you know, team that's anonymous and and you know untouchable. Uh, that's one thing. But again, ninety nine percent of of probably the the value uh, of this technology is going to come from from real world companies um and so they have to comply you know with these uh aml kyc laws uh, and can't just say okay here this token now represents a piece of my stock who wants to buy it and who wants to trade it and send it to iran i don't mind um you know there are sanctions and and massive fines uh towards these so um so that form of token, I think, has, has you know, I don't want to say it has no utility. I think it, it's certainly a very interesting area for, for a, a relatively narrow range of applications in the world. Um, but when you look at most forms of value, uh, they are not, not, you know, they're not like a, a dollar bill that you can just hand to someone. Uh, they're, a, they're a house or a mortgage or a... Uh, loan or whatever it may be um, that some of the you know, DeFi concepts and, and approaches um, you know don't actually represent they only represent you know, a fraction of the complexity that, that that actually exists on these things so for me you know tokens is, is sort of shorthand for you know programmable connectable digital assets um, so not things which are just sitting on someone's you know, server and exposed through an API, but actually live on some form of, of interconnected network. Uh, and those, I mean, um, absolutely. So you know, there'll be what three trillion dollars of Australian securities on a blockchain in the next couple of years, um, straight to the top of coin market cap. Um, so we'll see a lot of that, and you know, there's there's tons of those projects going on across the world in Hong Kong and Switzerland and Singapore. Uh, and, and all over the place. So that, you know, the, the notional values of the assets that are being you know, quote-unquote tokenized and, and put onto blockchains here is, is absolutely huge. Uh, and, and the benefit of having them be accessible, programmable, and connected is, is again, massive. Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's very exciting to see where everything's going to go. Um, and it's awesome seeing all the development that's happened over the like, past decade, especially with smart contracts. Um, I actually have to run right now, so I'm thinking we're going to wrap it up here. But no um, Dan, thanks for taking the time to come on and everything. Really appreciate it. Um, I think the audience will really appreciate it. Great conversation. Um, would love to have you again on again in the near future. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. I'm happy to. Thanks so much for, uh, for the opportunity, Brandon. I enjoyed it. Of course, anytime. Um, Joanne, Vera, if you're still listening, thank you for being here too. Appreciate it. This is great. Thanks so much. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys.